Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Discipleship Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with this lesson. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson. Footsteps of Messiah, and I believe we left off on page 180, I think. Yes? Is there any questions going back to what we covered? We're in the heart of the little apocalypse of Isaiah, general descriptions of the, uh, the tribulation. And so we're in the middle of, middle of page 180, verses 19 through 20. And it's going to talk about the earth and judgments of the tribulation, what it does to the earth. The earth is utterly broken. The earth is rent asunder. The earth is shaken violently. The earth shall stagger like a drunken man and shall sway to and fro like a hammock. And the transgression thereof shall be heavy upon it. And it shall fall and not rise again. So Isaiah is predicting this. Obviously, Revelation picks up on the theme as well. So something happens to the planet. This is not just a general judgment that, that doesn't just affects a, part, a portion of the planet. The judgments affect the entire globe. Something happens to your, it perhaps gets knocked off of its, uh, uh, rotation around the sun. The polar's, uh, caps may change. We don't know because it, it, it gets pummeled by a giant meteorite. Um, there's cataclysmic events happening that are supernatural. So Isaiah is predicting that the earth is just basically torn apart. Earthquakes happen not just in areas of the world, but in the, on the entire planet. The entire planet is shaken by God. We've never experienced that. We've experienced earthquakes. We don't understand what it means to the entire globe to move and to be shaken by God himself. Well, um, there's probably the last, it's the last, it's the seal judgments. And it, that's the worst judgment. And at that point, it, men are scorched in the seal judgment. You see the scorching of men and the planet. Well, that automatically tells you that somehow we got moved off our axis in orbit and we're closer to the sun. If you move just a few inches closer to the sun, we burn. That's how delicately balanced the earth is by God. That a little further away, a couple inches away, we freeze. A couple clo uh, inches closer, we burn. So something happens in the, the globe where we actually get closer to the sun and the earth and people on it are scorched, just burns. And so a lot of the, the, the earth's surface will be like a desert in a lot of ways. So the same thing happened in the flood. The earth's crust was broken apart by volcanic action um, and the whole entire surface was changed. So this is a massive, massive... Undertaking. This is why people will be trapped in certain locations. They can't get to certain locations, whether it's because of floods and, and tsunamis, or just the earth is so cracked up they can't move. They're, they're, they're trapped in certain locations. This is why angels have to be called in to give the eternal gospel. Really bad. We move on in, in, in according to Isaiah 26, it says this, and we're looking at the, uh, how the righteous respond to this. Yea, in the way of your judgments, O Yahweh, we have waited for you. To your name, even to your memorial name, is the desire of our soul. 
So there's an inward desire, not only of us, but the tribulation saints, of wanting Yahweh's judgments to happen. And we prayed, we talked about that, and that's one of the prayers of the, uh, remember, the persistent widow. What was taught off that story is that you persistently pray for the judgments of God to happen. Remember that. That's the story of the persistent widow and the message of it. We're praying for God to vindicate himself and us. And so that's the desire of our soul. With my soul I have desired you in the night. Yea, with my spirit within me will I seek you earnestly. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. No. What is a Christian to desire? Believe it or not, it is the presence of God in judgment, not on them, but on the inhabitants of the world. Now, I know you have to hold that thought at the same time you hold that the extension of grace and mercy is extended to all of humanity at the same time. But you have to balance out those two. That yes, deep down inside your soul, you long or should long for God's righteous judgments to be enacted on this planet and on the people of this planet at the same time holding out the offer of salvation. I know that's hard, but that should be the desire of every Christian. That's what he that's what Isaiah is saying. And so he goes, watch how the, the unrighteous respond. Let favor be showed to the wicked. So let goodness be showed to them, God. Yet, will he not learn righteousness? The idea is, God, even if you show goodness to these people, they will not learn it. That's how hard their hearts are. In the land of uprightness will he deal wrongfully the, the people of this world. They don't see him and will not behold the majesty of Yahweh. They won't see, even through the judgments of the tribulation, many, many people on this planet will not see him. They will not see his goodness. They refuse to see it. So Isaiah is saying they're willfully blind to this. They have done this to themselves. And you can see that today. The reason they don't come to God is they don't want God. They don't want his goodness. They don't want how he defines goodness. They want to do anything they want to do. And, and this is what happens. That a lot of them don't turn because of their hard-heartedness. We move to Isaiah 26, 20 through 21, talking about the righteous, how they're spared and protected during this time. This refers primarily to Israel and... Uh, He's speaking to Israel in this passage. Come, my people. My people is talking to the remnants. Enter into your chambers and shut your doors about you. Hide yourself for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed. For behold, Yahweh comes forth out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth, the earth dwellers, for their iniquity. The earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. Let's unpack that just a bit. Um, the idea that he calls out to Israel, the remnant, come and hide in the inner chamber as I protect you. The inner chamber, we know, this is, this is, uh, figurative language, but we find out later on through other passages that the inner chamber is Petra. Okay, and that makes sense, call it an inner chamber, because have you ever seen Petra? You go online, look at Petra, and it is a city dug out in caves in Bosra, a modern-day Jordan, and that can be considered what's called inner chamber or the cleft of the rock, that he's covering them and hiding them in that area. And so we, we deduce from other passages, and there's like, I, I forget, five or six passages, you put them all together and you end up with Petra. 
So that's what Isaiah is referring to, is that inner chamber where they're protected. Now, for a little moment, the little moment is three and a half years. We know that from the Revelation. When Satan goes on his rampage to wipe out every Jew on the planet, they're given a special place, Petra, to protect them for three and a half years. That's the wilderness area that Jesus told them to go when they see the abomination of desolation. So they'll be there for that little moment, which is three and a half years. And he says, until the indignation be overpassed, the wrath of God. And Yahweh comes forth out of his place. The Yahweh he's referring to is the second person of the Trinity. It is Jesus. And this is coupled with Isaiah 63, of who is this one who comes from Basra with blood on his garments. And so Yahweh here is Jesus. We obviously know that the Trinity, but it's referring primarily to the Messiah. What is the name that is given above every name that was given to Jesus? Philippians talks about that. He's given a name above every name, and every, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. What is the name that's been given to him or that is established about Jesus? He has been given the name Yahweh because he is Yahweh. That is that the name of every knee that shall bow is Yahweh. Messiah, his name, human name is Jesus, but his real name or his deity name is Yahweh. And so that's when you see Yahweh, that Yahweh comes out of his place, it's referring to the Messiah, the second person of the Trinity. He comes forth to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and he will. The earth shall also disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. The idea is that all of the saints that got killed in the tribulation seem unnamed to the, to the world. Like we're talking about uh, Pastor Saeed. He's just like unnamed to the world. Now, we know him, but the news people don't pick up on him. They, they, re, they report on the journalists and they ignore him. And what God is saying, every name that was slain, every Christian, every believer that was slain, I will make known their name. They're not nameless because they were martyred for me. I will make the world admit who they are. And so that's a, a promise to all the martyrs during that, that they're not going to be a nameless death. And, and somehow God will do that. We don't know exactly how he does that, but no martyr will ever be forgotten. They will be memorialized in certain ways. And obviously a martyr receives a special crown, and that, that's an identification mark they will carry for all eternity because of their martyrdom. So maybe it's that, I'm not sure, but Isaiah is saying no one's forgotten. Nobody. And God's going to make sure that, 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 that becomes disclosed in that, in that preparation, uh, during the kingdom. Okay. We move to the, the day of Yahweh passages, and we're going to try to identify when you see the day of Yahweh, which is a common Old Testament term, it's referring to the tribulation. It's not referring to the rapture. It's referring to at the beginning of the seven-year covenant that, that Antichrist signs with Israel and the second coming. And that's what we're trying to see. So anytime you hear the day of the Lord, the in that day or of that day, it's referring to the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation. We see this emphasized in Isaiah 2, 12 through 22. And during this day, it emphasizes the terror of the Lord uh, that's going to be manifested. He goes, for there shall be a day of Yahweh of hosts upon all that is proud and haughty, and upon all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low, and upon the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up, upon the all the oaks of Bashan. 
and upon all the high mountains and upon all the high hills that are lifted up and upon every lofty tower, upon every fortified wall, and upon all the ships of Tarshish, upon all the pleasant imagery, and all the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, the haughtiness of man shall be brought low, and, Yah- and Yahweh alone shall be exalted in that day. And the idols shall utterly pass away, and men shall go into caves of the rocks, and in the holes of the earth, from before the terror of Yahweh, and from the glory of his majesty, and he arises to shake mightily the earth. There's the idea of him shaking the earth again. Okay, that little phrase here is picked up by John in Revelation 6, 15 through 17. Revelation 6, 15 through 17, you want to walk uh, right out to the side when he talks about men going into caves and rocks and holes of the earth before the terror of Yahweh. It's an important point, and I want you to miss this. John picks up on that, and then what John does is he identifies when this happens. So that's a great thing about John. See, before, in the Old Testament, it talks about this day, but there's no timing elements to it. It is the book of Revelation that actually will give the chronology of when these things occur. And John does a great job of doing that, and you have to turn to Revelation 6, which means when you're in Revelation 6, you're in the first three and a half years of the tribulation, and the seal judgments are happening. Okay? You have the four horsemen that are, that are coming upon the earth, and then you have the, the martyrdom. And then, because of this, these seals being broken, the people of the earth start hiding in rocks and caves, and they say to hide us from the wrath of the Lamb, which is the terror of Yahweh. It's equating the two. The terror of Yahweh is equated to the wrath of the Lamb. Now, why is this important? It's happening, the terror of Yahweh and the wrath of the Lamb are happening in the first three and a half years of the tribulation. Okay, what's the big deal? This tells you that if this is the wrath of God being poured out in the first three and a half years, that means we're not here. So that's why I do not support a mid-tribulational view. Because they say, well, the wrath of God really doesn't start until after the, tribu- after the midpoint of the tribulation. No, according to Isaiah and according to Revelation 6, the terror or the wrath of God has already started in the first three and a half years. Therefore, I go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and Paul says, He did not appoint us unto wrath or condemnation. Hence, for us to be on planet Earth at the first three and a half years of the tribulation would mean that we are having the wrath of God being poured out on the church, and the church is exempt from that. Hence, we believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. So I cannot understand when I debate with those who believe a mid-tribulational rapture or even a post-tribulational rapture, why they want to do that. It just doesn't, I don't see it. Because Isaiah and, and John is putting that right there in the first part of the tribulation. Now for you, you may not be a big deal, but this is important because many, many Christians believe they're going to go through the tribulation. In fact, some of them are saying you're going to go all through it. And I just don't see that. And so that's important to note there. So these popular Christian celebrities are teaching their people this, that they're going to go through the tribulation. So this is what they're doing. They're starting to prep. Now, I'm not against prepping for hard times and stuff like that. But these people are specifically prepping because they think they're going to go through the tribulation. Well, that's wrong. 
I mean, I, pre I, I would advocate prepping for earthquakes and hurricanes and electrical outages. And if the oil thing dries up and the Middle East blows up with Psalm 83 and Gog and Magog, but I definitely am not prepping for the tribulation. I'm hoping to be gone by then, obviously. So anyway, there's a lot to that. But if you ever get into debate, you just bring this out with Revelation 6 and say, it says that the wrath of God is being poured out at this point, And that's why they're hiding. They go into hiding. Isn't that interesting? They don't turn and say, please save us. They want to hide. What did Adam and Eve do when they sinned? Hide. Okay. The First Thessalonians 5 is about the lack of condemnation. The rapture passage is right before that in chapter 4. And in chapter 5 he says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ in First Thessalonians 5. We have rapture and then no condemnation. Let's move into Isaiah 13 as we're in the little apocalypse. And this gets even worse. Wail ye, for the day of Yahweh is at hand. This is talking to Babylon, okay? Commercial Babylon, religious Babylon is going to be restored in the area of where the Tower of Babylon was at. As destruction from the Almighty shall it come, therefore shall all the hands be feeble, and every heart of man shall melt, and they shall be dismayed. Pains and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman in travail. They shall look in amazement at one another. Their faces shall be faces of flame. Behold, the day of Yahweh comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land de a desolation and to destroy the sinners thereof out of it. That's the other reason for the purpose of the tribulation, is to get rid of evil. This is why you can't have the kingdom, folks. You can't have the kingdom until sinners are kicked out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in its going forth. Moon shall not cause its light to shine. That's talking about one of the blackouts in the tribulation. And I will punish the world for their evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease, and will lay low the haughtiness of the of the terrible. And I will make a man more rare than fine gold, even a man more, uh, sorry, more than a pure gold of Ophir. Now, let's talk about this a little bit. It's talking about the destruction of Babylon, but also including the destruction of the entire planet and the, the inhabitants of the planet. One of the purposes of the tribulation is to rid the world of sinful, evil people that will not come to repentance and faith in Christ. And so God will get, has to get rid of that before the kingdom can start because he will not allow evil to inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, so what does this mean? By all estimations, if you use the calculations based on the human population today, if I take you through the book of Revelation and I go through how many people die here and how many people die here, and in some people we don't know how many people die, just it's innumerable. So we take the best estimations. The best estimations is that 75% of the human population today would be dead. They would die through the course of the tribulation. 75% of the human population is dead. So now you have a 25% population that is alive that actually make it through. A portion of that 25% is of the remnant of Gentiles and obviously the remnant of Israel. Because two-thirds of Israel have been removed, and the two-thirds are unbelieving Jews. So what you have in this 25% that are left is the remnant and believing and unbelieving Gentiles, part of that 25%. So you're looking at maybe 1.5, 1.7 a uh, billion people still on the planet by the end of the tribulation. And that's it. 
then that, that populace will go in front of Messiah and he will judge them. And if they're a goat, a goat Gentile, they immediately are, are killed and sent to hell. And the, the sheep Gentile are allowed to go into the kingdom along with the remnant of Israel. So the population is reduced at least by 75%. That is enormous. The population of Israel is decreased by two-thirds. Whatever the Israeli population is today, just do the math and that will give you your number. And so it's a massive, massive reduction of the human population. Just massive. And um, anyway, that that this is what Isaiah is trying to say, but then John is the one who puts the teeth to it and he starts giving fractions. He'll say a fourth, and then he'll say a third. And that's where you get your numbers from. It's the thirds and the fourths and stuff like that. Anyway, he, we continue on. Therefore, I will make the heavens to tremble. The earth shall be shaken out of its place. There again is the idea of the earth getting out of its orbit. Something happens to the earth's orbit. Maybe it's because of the, the meteorite that hits our planet. In the wrath of Yahweh of hosts, and in the day of his fierce anger. And it shall come to pass that... Uh, that as the chaste doe, or roe, it, but it should be doe, it's, it's referring to a doe like a deer, and as a sheep that no man gathers, they shall turn every man to his own people, and they shall flee to his own land. Every one that is found shall be thrust through, and every one that is taken shall fall by the sword. Their infants also shall be dashed in pieces before their eyes, their houses shall be rifled, and their wives ravished. That is kind of a Jewish idiom for saying that everyone dies. Everyone. That, that, you'll see that passage, that same passage, uh, in referring to Israel in Zechariah chapter 14. And it's an idiom of saying the women are, are raped, people are, you know, everyone's dead, their houses are rifled, their loot stolen. So people turn on each other, and it's just absolute anarchy, because there's nothing, you know, to guard them. This is referring to Babylon, so what'll happen with Babylon is this. Babylon will be attacked, by Gentile countries that come against her and is taken out in one hour. And that's why when you see Isaiah 13 and 14, and you'll see Jeremiah 49 and 50, or I think it's 50, 51, that it's a call to the Jews to get out of there before it's destroyed. Now, it seems that way that, according to Jeremiah, that the arrow that is used by these Gentiles to destroy Babylon, the Hebrew is saying that the arrow has intelligence in itself. It's not the archer that has intelligence, it's the arrow itself in Hebrew has the intelligence in and of itself. Right. And I think that's what, if Jeremiah could be propelled into our day, he was trying to communicate, I don't know what how to say this, but it looks like an arrow, but it has intelligence of its own. And I'm going to write it that way. Well, we know that in modern terms, it's a smart bomb. So apparently Babylon is destroyed by a smart bomb, this arrow from these Gentile countries, and I think it's a nuke. Because it's destroyed in one hour. Its doom has come in one hour. And whoever these Gentiles are that destroy them, um, at least Jeremiah predicted it, and that's why... When it says it should be thrust through, everyone shall fall by the sword, there is no inhabitants left because a nuclear bomb has went off in this area and destroyed the capital of the Antichrist. It's just gone. Where is Antichrist at this time? He's in Israel, 
And he set his tents in Megiddo, in the Jezreel Valley, and he hears about this, but he can't move because he's in a battle between the king of the north and the king of the south, and he can't move. So he stays there, and his capital is destroyed. So this is kind of what is being talked about here. Uh, there's a lot to it uh, that we tag on to it. So they're totally destroyed. Along with Babylon being destroyed, the Middle East nations are destroyed. So you see this in Ezekiel 31 through 9. The word of Yahweh came to me unto, uh, unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord Yahweh, Wail ye, alas for the day, for the day is near, even the day of Yahweh is near, and it shall be a day of clouds, a time of the nations, and the sword shall come upon Egypt, and anguish shall be in Ethiopia, or basically Sudan, or uh, 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 the Sudan area, Somalia. When the slain shall fall in Egypt, and they shall take away her multitude, and her foundation shall be broken down. Uh, Ethiopia, which is northern Africa, maybe northern Sudan area, we're not sure. Put, maybe is Libya. Lud is Asia Minor, maybe parts of Turkey. And all are mingled people. All the, this is, this is basically a, a judgment against all Arab people, by the way. And Kub. We don't know what Kub is. Um, I, I've looked at so many, many translations and, and commentaries. We just don't know, but we know it's an area where Arab people are. This whole prophecy in, in Ezekiel 30 is about the destruction of Arab people around Israel. And the children of the land that is in league shall fall with them by the sword. Thus says Yahweh, they also that uphold Egypt shall fall, and the pride of her power shall come down from the power of, of Sivana shall they fall in it by the sword, says the Lord Yahweh, and they shall be desolate in the midst of the countries that are desolate, and her cities shall be in the midst of her cities that are wasted, and they shall know that I am Yahweh, when I have set a fire in Egypt, and all her helpers are destroyed. In that day shall messengers go forth from uh, from before me in ships to make the careless Ethiopians afraid, and there shall be anguish upon them as in the day of Egypt, for lo, it comes." So the, the, the whole prophecy there is saying, I'm going to destroy every Arab nation around, around Israel. By the end of the tribulation, there will be no people left. Yes, he will have a remnant that comes out of it, but because they refuse to come to faith in me, I will destroy them. So this day is coming. He says, lo, it comes. I'm not going to relent because why isn't God relenting of this? Because the humans refuse to relent of them. They refuse to come to faith. He offers salvation. Do it now. The day is the day of salvation. But once it's over, the offering of salvation is rescinded, and now wrath is only left. And that's why it's so hard to see this. This is all judgment. But um, that's what the tribulation is about. This is why God says, get your act straightened out now. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to, give you, uh, uh, I'm trying to protect you from me. That's who God's trying to protect them from, from himself. Because I will execute judgment on you eventually. Okay, any questions so far? I know it's a lot of judgment, a lot of th stuff going on. This is what I want to do. I want to take a break, and uh, and then we'll come back, because it's, it's it gets pretty heavy, because we're going to watch the, the destruction of the crops later, and the destructions of everything, and it's just a lot of stuff. So we'll take a break, pick up on this next week, okay? Thanks for joining us for another episode of... The Anchor Discipleship. We hope that this message is a blessing to you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has two other podcasts. The first is called The Anchor Sunday Sermons and is filled with pastors' Sunday messages. 
And the second is the Anchor Bible Study. It's filled with past and continuing Bible studies preached during our Wednesday evening services. If you enjoy this message and would like to hear them, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services. Rock Harbor Church also has a print-to-order merchandise store. You can shop for Rock Harbor merch at rockharborchurch.store. Support for all three of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Keep looking up for our redemption draws near. God bless.